So if you've been with us, uh, with us, you know that we're studying the book of Proverbs as the path to the good life, right? What we're seeing in Proverbs is basically the wisdom of God for us who are believers. Um, you know, God is trying to offer and say that in order to follow him, if you do follow him, it's not only going to be the righteous life, but it's going to be the blessed life. And really what it means to be in the state of spiritual blessedness is not only that your relationship with God is proper and right, but it actually is what can be considered the good or the fortunate life. It's going to be a life lived well. Uh, and as we've been covering the last couple of weeks, you know, you probably know that when we were defining wisdom, uh, we define it as the art or the skill of living well. It's knowing how to navigate all the various circumstances we experience as believers in all the various parts of our lives and knowing how to make the right decision, um, the wise decision that would honor the Lord amidst all the complexities that we go through, right? And so if you were with us last week, we were breaking down how Proverbs is, it really has two parts. The, the first part is chapters one through nine, and that's explaining really just the opening of wisdom before you actually hear the wisdom proper. Um, chapters one through nine are trying to break down, this is the, the kind of person you need to be. Uh, this is the reality that you are going to face. And so make sure that you choose wisely to pursue God's wisdom and not folly. Because that path of folly is only gonna bring destruction long-term. Uh, and we broke down what all that means last week. But kind of to, to summarize, you know, where we've been so far in the, in the first two sessions is we really saw three main things. As believers, we're able to pursue wisdom by one, or A, having a heart that fears the Lord, right? Having the proper awe and reverence for who God is based on our understanding of his character or his glory, even as we just heard, that leads to a desire to genuinely love and obey him. Uh, but we also need to pursue wisdom by be attentively listening to God's word, right? So this is tying to the last two weeks of our class and even today's sermon. If we truly see God for who he is, we see what he's offering us, we will have this genuine desire to pursue and know his word desperately. Uh, we'll do everything we can to diligently know it. And then thirdly, or C, um, we pursue wisdom by humbly seeking outside counsel. Something that we'll look at a little bit more as we eventually get to relationships, which Proverbs talks a lot about. But we see that it's so important to not only be studying God's word ourselves, but that we are receiving outside wise counsel. Because all of us have blind spots and we will deceive ourselves if we're not being careful. So as I said, these first nine chapters of Proverbs, which we've loosely covered over the past two weeks, is really just setting the stage. It's, it's about the kind of person you need to be to be able to glean from wisdom. It's the heart posture you need. It's the practices you need to even get to the starting point. And then as you go into the rest of chapters 10 to 31, that's where you see, you start to see the fortune cookie approach of Proverbs, right? It's this random phrase, this random promise, and, and all these different topics, because this is now where we're at wisdom proper, and every single one of them can, uh, can be something to glean from. And so today we're going to look um, at one of the main topics that you see in the Proverbs, which is the importance of our speech the nature or the worth of our words and how we relate to people in what we actually say or what we don't say. And uh, when I was thinking about this topic, it reminded me of a person named Alfred Nobel. Some of you might have heard him, of him. 
Um, he was actually a well-known chemist, you know, many, many centuries ago, or not that many centuries ago, but many decades ago. Uh, and, you know, his big passion in life was trying to understand um, how can we really speed up the construction process as we're trying to create uh, various you know, structures, whether it's bridges or dams, that requires a lot of you know, mountain formations and rocks to be broken up. And he was in this process as a chemist trying to understand what is the most economic, efficient way to do that. And in the process, he created something known as dynamite, which then forever changed the face of the construction world. Because with dynamite, suddenly you had this explosive, very powerful thing that could literally change mountaintops. Uh, you're going to be able to break through and reshape the landscape at a speed that just wasn't you know, possible before. Uh, but one of the, the big drawbacks or the, the aspects of dynamite that he didn't see is the destructive capabilities of it as well. Right? Because very soon, and this is what happens in human nature, when someone finds something that can be used for harm or war, people will find a way to use it. And that's then why, as you see as history goes on, dynamite was not only just used to um, help people and, and build bridges and, and allow people to move around quicker and faster. It was actually used to kill many, many people over the course of wars. And so, you know, to Nobel's shock, um, he actually eventually was given the name the Angel of Death because of what his actions were actually bringing, right? His creation dynamite actually was used in very destructive ways. And it was so grievous to this individual that in his you know, death, though he had gained so much wealth because of the creation of dynamite, he eventually set most of it aside to be used to give people who are pursuing peace, which is where we now have what's known as the Nobel Peace Prize, right? Because he was so horrified at what he did that he just said, you know what, I wanna take all of this and use it to actually further um, peace and not harm. Um, but I, I bring up his story because I think our words as believers or as non-believers are actually very similar to dynamite in the sense that it can be used for either great help or great harm. Right? Words have significant power as we're going to see in Proverbs and how we're actually choosing to speak what we're speaking, the way that we speak, all of that can either be used to great um, detriment or benefit to the people around us. And so a huge part of wisdom is our speech. In fact, some scholars would say that speech is the most talked about topic in Proverbs or one of the most, depending on how you categorize certain verses. But it's something that you see as being so important in the Proverbs that, that that's a huge part of wisdom. How are we living? How do we make sure the way that we speak as believers is appropriate and God-honoring and wise? And that's what we're going to see today. Uh, so just know, as I said, there is so much material here. We're only going to be able to do a snapshot. So I'm just going to give you some of the big categories. As you study Proverbs on your own, you can slowly unpack it and see just how much is there. But just know what we're seeing is I'm going to try to, to give as much detail as I can, knowing we have to be brief because there's so much but again, I hope that this just warms you up a little bit. So if you saw our title, it's words of death, words of life, because that's exactly what Proverbs says. Um, first, we have in Proverbs 12, 18, it says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Right? So uh, uh, foolish words, a person who's full of folly, those words can bring great uh, death to people, harm and injury. But the words of the wise can bring healing or restoration to others. In another very um, powerful verse, 1821, 
It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. So depending on how you're using your speech to other people, you will either bring death or life into your life and into the lives of those around you. And so you need to be so incredibly careful with how you use uh, your words. Um, there's this really well-known saying, you, you've probably heard of it. It's uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Yeah, Proverbs would say that is an absolute lie, right? Because as much as we like to say that to encourage, oh, you know, it's fine. It's, it's just a comment here, there. It's just a criticism. Those words have significant, meaningful power in shaping you and I, right? I mean, we're going to get into some examples as we go here, but I think you probably can think of countless ways that you've actually been impacted by people's words for good and for bad. And, and ways that you've affected people for good or for bad by what you say. And, and in a little bit, I'll actually ask for some examples if you're willing to share. So maybe think about that now. The goal isn't to make ourselves feel bad or, or other people, but just to illustrate the power of our words. Um, so just be thinking about that as we get going. So I think if you have your notes, there's really two general categories we're going to look at today. Um, the first is just the power of our words and either being destructive or constructive, right? negative or positive. And then the second, category, the second category we're going to see is the importance of tact, the way that we speak, when and how we speak, all that matters as well. So we'll go through this relatively quickly, um, but it would be great to have some people read verses as well. So thinking about the destructive category of our words, um, there are four general categories in Proverbs. There's probably more depending on how you want to expand it. Um, but it's the, the reality of lying, flattery, gossip, and then in general, just the destructive nature. Um, can someone read for us Proverbs 12, 19, and 22? Okay, Charlie. And then someone find Proverbs 29, verse 5. The second one. Okay, uh, I think Emerson, you're raising your hand. And we have Proverbs 16, 28. Someone, okay, Tony. And then, uh, well, you're, you're already there, so then you'll read another verse right next to it. Okay, so let's start with Proverbs 12, 19, and 22. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And then verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Hmm. So I, I think for most of us, it, it's probably very intuitive that lying is bad. Uh, I, I think what we're seeing here in this proverb, especially at verse 22, is highlighting just how horrible lying actually is, right? Even as believers, it's very easy to justify kind of a half-truth, right? Where we say, well, I, I'm kind of telling the truth, I'm, I'm hindering a part of it, but, but that's still, in essence, a lie, but what you're saying in verse 22 is that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, right? That, that's something that is absolutely detestable to him, right? And again, it's the danger that we can easily justify maybe small white lies, but we have to see that even that is something which is horrible in God's sight. Uh, you know, we don't have time to go into it, but if you see Proverbs 19 verse 5, you know, here it says that a, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who breathes out lies will not escape. And that's saying that when we lie, right, oftentimes we do it in the moment to save our skin in quotes, right? We think that there's some type of short-term gain, but, but the proverb is warning us that liars will eventually be found out, 
right, that our lies do eventually catch up to us and it will hurt and destroy us and the people that we lied to. Uh, very similar to that, we have the, the danger of flattery. If we can go ahead and read Proverbs 29, verse 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Hmm. Right. Uh, flattery is this deceptive praise to manipulate people. And, and this is something that, you know, basically this proverb is warning us both about doing flattery, but also just about the general danger of flattery. Uh, it, it's so easy to, you know, say certain things that we don't really mean, but for the sake of kind of buttering a person up, if you've heard that phrase, which even that phrase is really horrible, if you understand what it's trying to get at. But, but how easy is it for us to say things to people just because we want them to feel a little bit better so they'll do what we ask them to do or, or say something, yeah, Emerson? Who is this? Spreads a net for his Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would have to look at the Hebrew again to see it specifically, at least from the translations I've seen, it would be the person that he's flattering. Um, but again, it's just showing the dangerous power of flattery, right? That, you know, flattery is used to destroy people. And so we have to be careful that if we're being ones who are prone to flattery, of course, you know, you have to recognize you're not just trying to advance yourself. You're actually hurting the person that you're flattering. At the same time, uh, we have to realize that we live in a world in which there is much flattery. You know, people say all types of things just to get ahead in life, but actually to um, harm the person and not be sincere. Um, the third category that we have is gossip. And so if we can go ahead and read uh, 1628. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Yeah, so in Proverbs, you know, you'll hear these words, whisperer. A talebearer, slanderer, or gossip. It's all the same type of person. It's an individual that's sharing information that he or she has no right to share. Right? Maybe it's about another individual and something that's going on or some type of real hurt or secret in that life. Uh, but, you know, this proverb is basically warning us that as juicy as it may feel, right, to have hidden information and to share with other people, to think, man, did you hear about this? You know, the proverb or God is warning us that that actually ruins relationships, right? It brings destructions into our lives and those around us. And again, we have another summary verse, which just tells us about all of the, the dangers of this type of unwise or wicked speech in Proverbs 16, 27. So if Tony, you can read the verse right before. A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Yeah. Uh, you guys ever see those videos of California, where I come from, when those giant wildfires, you know, basically destroy half the state? Um, it, it's really, I mean, it's sad, but it's also incredible when you see it, right? One little spark then just ablazes the entire state. You know, people's lives are, are hurt, houses are destroyed. It is such a destructive force. But, you know, this proverb is trying to say that the worthless or the wicked individual, the, the speech that comes out of an unrighteous individual is like a scorching fire. And that if we're not living by God's principles and God's wisdom, it does wreak havoc on everyone around us. Uh, and if I can ask again, all of you, not that we have to go into all of the gory details, but have you seen this kind of destructive power of speech? Uh, do any of you have parts you're willing to share? And to share that um, one time someone I, I met someone in a, in a room no one else was there but they immediately said did you know that and blurted out something 
And I didn't know that, nor did I need to know that. But I thought, thank you very much, because what you've done for me now is you've given me a burden to carry. I can't share it with anyone else. I have to not look at that person any differently. Mm -hmm. So when you gossip, you place a burden on the hearer. Yeah. You know, the hearer now has the burden of trying to, for themselves, digest what you've said and not look at the person you've talked about differently and not repeat it to anybody else, mm. but to carry that now. Right. So really, I thought, well, great. Now you've given me a burden to carry. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Thank you. You okay. Know, so I, I think it's something to think about when you do mm. that. You place a burden on the hearer. Yeah, I know. Thank you for, for mentioning that. There's another proverb which says that these types of whispers are like a delicious morsel, yep. right, in the sense of, oh, it feels so good to know and share. But yeah, you are placing a burden of potential sin and harm on the person you're sharing with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Any other thoughts or examples? I think Cindy's point as well. When somebody places that burden upon you, you know they're not trustworthy. Hmm. It's just a great indicator that that's someone you never want to come to first and proud of help. Yeah. Yeah, because if they're willing to share something with you that they shouldn't. What means, what makes it that they won't do the same if you share something, right? Yeah. I think our young people are faced with this. The internet, the social media, things get spread like a wildfire. Mm-hmm. Our granddaughter had something this week that was said about her. And it's like everybody in the whole school knew about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I grieved for her. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that. And sometimes maybe the first person that shared literally thought, I'm just going to share with this one person, but then you don't realize just how over time it, it does spread like that. Yeah. Uh, I was reading a um, devotional one time on this particular subject, and the author of the devotional wrote this. A lie is something you say behind someone's back. Flattery is, is it a lie you tell someone to their face. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. Yeah, but when you're, even if you're hearing something very positive, it's, it's a lie, they're trying to deceive you. And yeah, that's something very dangerous. So uh, that's really helpful. Again, this is just meant to be a brief summary because there's so much you can go into. But as you read through Proverbs, I would encourage you to listen for that theme of the type of speech that you hear. And, and the number of times that you hear this motif of the danger, um, the real evil that comes from uh, this type of, of wicked speech. So. Let's uh, quickly move over to the the positive side or the constructive side. Again, this is just a brief summary. Uh, I would say you you typically see these two general categories uh, on the top there. It's pleasant comforts, or you can see it as pleasant words and comforting words. Uh, Can someone read for us Proverbs 16.24? Okay, Courtney. And then uh, someone find Proverbs 12.25. Okay, great, Nate. And then let's have Proverbs 25, 12, switching that around. Okay, Breck, great. So first we have 16, 24. Precious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Yeah, so in contrast to all of the pain that we were hearing, right, and how we can use our words in a negative way, God is warning us that if used righteously and wisely, our speech can be like a honeycomb. I don't know how many of you guys love sweet honey or something that's really sugary, like everything we have there on the table. Um, but, you know, in the right context, it just feels so refreshing and so delightful. And if you think about uh, wise people that you've spent time with, 
Um, maybe you've had those types of situations where you were in a particular moment in time, you didn't know exactly what's going on, and when you heard the right word from Scripture, it was like honey sweet to your soul. And the way that it brought that refreshment and that help and that care um, to you in that moment. Um, you hear something similar in Proverbs 12, 25, if we can read that. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Yeah, good, right? That being a pleasant or a morally good type of word makes the soul glad. Uh, and so, you know, what we see in Scripture is as we know God's wisdom, not just here in Proverbs, but in all of Scripture, and we know how to properly use it and, and say it to other people, uh, we can bring that sense of spiritual refreshment and healing um, to the people around us. In fact, right, I, we don't have time to do all of this, but as you break down, for instance, the book of Ephesians and the importance of the call to ministry, that every Christian is called to uh, speak the truth into one another's lives, that's exactly what you're seeing here. That in the church, our relationships should be marked by this ability that we are literally healing and helping the people around us. Not because we have that ability in ourselves, but as we're speaking the truth of scripture, the timely words, the biblical words to people that are hurting, we're able to refresh their soul, so to speak. And that's a responsibility that every single one of us has as Christians, but um, we need to do it properly, right? And so that's why we have this last one, Proverbs 25, 12. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Mm. And note that phrase, the wise reprover, right? Reproving is the idea of wanting to exhort a person or, you know, cr uh, give a sense of biblical correction to something they're doing wrong or the way that they're thinking that's wrong. But it says a wise reprover, right? Because there's a way of sharing a truth, which we'll see in a little bit, that's not helpful, but actually harmful. And so here he's saying, if you have an individual who is wise, who knows how to share a rebuke, but not in an overly harsh or dogmatic or polemic way, but a proper way, it's like a gold ring uh, or an ornament of gold. Uh, the idea of something that's beautiful and valuable that a person has. In other words, as Christians, we should both be able to give and receive wise rebuke. Right? That, that's going back to a theme we covered last week. Right? As Christians, saved by grace is not that now people never speak the truth into our life or we never change. It's this reality that it is good to give biblical rebuke in the right kind of context, but we have to do it properly. Um, but in other words, knowing how to give a loving, wise confrontation is actually a noble trait. A lot more that you can say about this topic, but I just want to summarize it um, so we have time for the, the second half here. Uh, as you summarize in Ephesians 4.29, it says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Right, so what are Christian words? How should a believer who's following the wisdom of God speak? Right, how do you summarize all those truths about lying and gossip and flattery and deceit and destruction, all these positive things? It's let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only talk that builds up. Right, so if you're looking for a general summary of how do I understand how, what my speech should look like, it's the question of are your words building up the other individual? Is it actually seeking to help them spiritually or harm them? Because um, one of the dangers that I think Ephesians 4 is alluding to, right, you see this in a number, a number of other places in Proverbs, is that you can even say true things 
which have the intent of tearing down. Right? Sometimes we can say, well, it's the truth, so I'm just going to say it. But the truth said in the wrong manner or the wrong time or in the wrong way actually still brings harm, right? If, if our intent is to actually hurt the other person. You can say all kinds of things that are true. Um, but I, I love how Tim Keller phrases it. He says, our words should always have a ministry motive. Right? When we're speaking to people, even if we're saying things that are true, what we say, how we say it, all that needs to be with this idea of trying to build other people up spiritually, right? So even going to how you confront other people and their sin, we should be able to do that as believers. We need to be able to lovingly confront and help people, but the goal needs to be, I'm going to say this hard truth so they can better follow Christ. Not because I want to be the judge that then slams them and says, you are an evil, horrible person, but I, I say this hard truth so you can actually better follow Christ. And that's what we have to be um, careful of here. Our words should be constructive, right? We can't break down all of these proverbs, but it, it's the type which would be pleasant. It's helpful to people. It builds them up. Obviously, it has to be rooted in scripture, um, but the overarching question is, are our words pointing people to Christ or not? Um, any other thoughts or questions on this? Um, I, I know that we're, we're going through this first section pretty quickly, but I'm doing that because I think a lot of this should be hopefully um, obvious or, or known to us. Any thoughts about this? The, the positive aspect of our speech as Christians? Yeah, Pastor Jerry. Yeah, somebody once told me a long time ago that it is a wise man who knows when to speak, to whom to speak, how to speak before they speak. Mm. So making sure that you think through, especially if you're going to give a review, boy, it really requires some preliminary work yeah. in your own heart. That's, a, that's really well said. Was the person who said that yourself? Because no. <laughs> you, yeah, you are a wise individual. So. The student and the wise person. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's very well said. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's good. And in fact, uh, we're going to get into that in just a little bit as we break down tact. So thank you. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah. I think of Ephesians 4.15, I believe it's where it instructs us to speak the truth in love. Mm. That kind of covers, that's the umbrella for all of that speech. Yeah. The loving motivation. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's really well said. I think that, uh, Ed, were you raising your hand? Or? No, I was going to say after Jerry said, after what Jerry said, that's why I'm keeping my mouth shut. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and as we're going to see, that can be a very wise thing too. So, um, All right, well, why don't we get there, and then we'll, we'll have more time to discuss at the very end. So I think in our life, we've seen both the, the positive aspects of speech and the negative aspects, right? We're not going to go into every single person here. This first half, I think, was fairly obvious, and so I wanted to go through that a little bit faster so we can camp on the second half a little bit. And this is very much what I think Pastor Jerry was alluding to, which is the need for tact in our speech. A huge part of wise speech is not only whether what you're saying is poison or good, but also wisdom and knowing when and how, the, the right timing, all of that here is so important. And so for me, uh, I think you have it on your handouts. I, I try to keep it as you know, consistent as possible. They all start with T. 
um, there are four ways that we can see tact in Proverbs. Um, what is wise, what does a wise person's speech look like versus a fool? Uh, it can also be seen along these four different categories. Um, the first one, and this is I think what Ed was saying, is that it can be helpful to talk less. So let's look at some of these. If again, we can find some people to read them. The first is uh, Proverbs 29, 11, okay? Uh, Proverbs 10, 19. Anyone willing to read? Okay, great. And then uh, Proverbs 15, 1. Jimmy, if you can read that. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 4. Okay, great. So we'll start with those four here. Uh, go ahead and start. Fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds his back. Okay. And then if we can read the next one as well. Proverbs 10, 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. Mm. But, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Yeah. So what God is warning us in Proverbs is that loose lips or a person who speaks a ton or can't control his speech, that is both a sign and a source of foolish destruction. Right? In other words, if a person's unable to control the amount of which they're speaking, always needing to voice their opinion or um, always get the last word or just speak a lot, oftentimes uh, that could be a sign of a foolish heart. Um, whether it's due to pride or due to ignorance, um, it's just a person that's walking down not the path of wisdom, but the path of um, folly. And notice even then in that second verse we read, Proverbs 10, 19, it says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. In other words, if we're the type of people that just love to run our mouth, we are going to get in trouble, right? Without even meaning to, you're going to end up saying things that you shouldn't have said or that you wish you didn't say or instantly want to take back. And so a huge part of wisdom is not only learning to constrain how we speak, but a huge part of wisdom is as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, we understand that we don't always have a lot to say, right? And that doesn't mean you should be the silent monk that never says anything. But it's the idea that if we're wanting to truly be wise, we understand, again, the importance and gravity of words. We understand our limitations and what we actually have to say and contribute. But also, there's also just the sense of, of self-control. Right? We're not the kind of person that just has to blabber without um, thinking or, or, or can't control their words as well. Um, that's one of the huge marks of folly is how much are we actually speaking? Now, again, these are principles, not promises. There are some of us that do speak more in general than others, right? So I, I don't want you to walk away thinking I have to only say a certain number of words to be wise or you know, that kind of thing. These are principles. But this is the general question to be asking yourself. Okay, from the way that you engage with other people, um, is it being marked by this tact, this discipline and self-control, or is it marked by just a lack of it and whatever is on your mind just naturally comes out and spews out? Um, that's one of the marks of wisdom here is, is how much you're actually sharing and, and the, the dangers of saying too much. Have any of you guys actually experienced that in your own life? Uh, where maybe because you were kind of running your mouth, you ended up saying something that uh, you know you shouldn't have or that didn't lead to uh, some kind of negative circumstance? It never happened. Never? No? Yeah. Yeah, and I figured, you know, one of the dangers of these Proverbs is these are warnings, and, and again, it could be hard and sometimes not always appropriate to share, but 
Uh, we all have probably been in that boat. You said just a little bit too much. Yeah, scary. One of the double whammies of that is I'm a participant relative. I'm not here in St. Louis, just to rule that out. Yeah. <laughs> that, that say, well, that's just the way I am, so get used to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's well said. And going back to last week, that's one of the differences between the wise man and the foolish man, right? The, the wise individual listens to counsel, is willing to change, but it's the fool, as we said, who um, suffers from stubborn stupidity in the sense that I am who I am, and no matter how many times I hear rebuke, I will not listen. Yeah, so that, that's really well said. Uh, we need to be those individuals that when we hear correction, we're willing to say, it's not just my personality. It's not just who I am. I, I have to be willing to change. Yeah, that's good. You mentioned loose lips. There, there was the saying, it was during World War II, loose lips, I think it said may sink ships. Hmm. And those posters were put up as a reminder that you don't know who's listening and what the consequences can be hmm. of anything you say. Yeah, that's very true. Again, we've all probably been in a circumstance where we were saying something about an individual that we shouldn't have, only then to realize that person might have been right behind us or those types of circumstances. And again, we don't avoid saying those things because we don't want to get caught, but that is the reality about speaking too much. So that, that's a, a very helpful uh, word. Let's go to the second one here. Proverbs in its wisdom also says a lot about the tone or the way of how believers speak. If we can read those two verses. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a hard word stirs up anger. Okay, and then if you can read verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So here, right, you're seeing how the proverb is emphasizing the manner or the way that a person is speaking. Right, going back to verse 1, it says, A soft answer, or that's the idea of a gentle answer, turns away wrath. Right? So you can be in a circumstance where maybe an individual is frustrated or just you know, is already kind of uh, fuming. And, and if you have the wisdom of God, which stems from a spirit of humility uh, and seeking to glorify God, not ourselves, if you know how to answer in a way which is soft, right? it, it's a way of disarming the circumstance, you're able to actually avoid conflict uh, where in other circumstances conflict may be there. Right? So a huge part of knowing how to live in wisdom is not only what we're saying, but how we're saying it. Hey, I, I understand that this is getting really heated, and maybe I'm even feeling heated inside, but I understand that I don't need to elevate the tone even more. All right? But on the opposite side, it says a harsh word stirs up anger. Going back to, I think, what, uh, Gary, you're alluding to, some of us maybe naturally feel like we have abrasive personalities. I know I've always been there more naturally. You know, sometimes we can say, this is just how I respond. But if you are lashing out with harshness, it will only stir up more conflict over time. And so you can think back to whatever conflicts you've had over the last couple of years and think, okay, was that conflict actually necessary? Or were there moments even in those conversations where if I had just listened to the counsel of God, again, that has to be fueled by a spirit of prayer already even before you're in those conversations, but would I have known those moments where if I just changed the way that I spoke, that entire conversation could have gone a different route. 
if I had just learned the, the, the need to be humble and to be gentle here. And if you look in verse 4, as Jamie was reading, it says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, right? That's almost like an allusion to the Garden of Eden. If you think about that being the perfect place of mankind getting full sustenance and restoration and peace, it's saying if you have a gentle, controlled tongue, that can be the kind of refreshment to people around you. Knowing not just what to say, but how to say it can make such a huge difference in, in your relationships. And so all of us are in different places, right? Our personalities are different, but even take a moment right now to think about that. Going back to the idea of, of rebuking or confrontation, do you tend towards a harsh, angry, or strong approach, or, or do you understand how to also soften that as well? Uh, like I said, wisdom is not just knowing it and saying, well, I'm going to artificially constrain my mouth. All of this stems from who we are, which we're going to see in a second, but, but that's just the, the question to think about right now. In your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, even here at church, it's easy if we're getting our way and life is going fine, but when life is not going fine, how do we speak? How do you speak? Uh, here's the third category is timing. Uh, maybe for time's sake, I'll just read these two. Um, the first one is Proverbs 15, 23. It says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. And that idea of apt is, is, again, the idea of a timing. It's saying something that you need to say, saying the truth, but at the right moment. Right? Maybe there's something that you need to share with uh, a friend right, or a loved one or a spouse. But for whatever reason, someone has been really, really sick or, or a loved one died. I think all of us would understand, you know what? I still need to eventually say this truth to them, but that is right now is not the time. Right? This is a season of grief. There's something else that's going on. It would not be helpful to speak right now. Um, that's this idea of an apt answer. And so a huge part of wisdom, both by studying uh, Proverbs like this and understanding everything that God says about the nature of wisdom in Scripture, is knowing how to speak and when to speak. You know, is this actually the moment that I need to? Uh, another example is, is found in that second verse, Proverbs 27:14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Uh, do you guys understand that? Maybe some of you are, you know, maybe if you're married or you have roommates, one of you is a morning person, one of you is a, a night owl. And you've probably seen the clash there, right? Someone that loves to wake up at, I don't know, 5.30. No one should ever want to wake up at 5.30. But if you do... And you're feeling, you know, how great it is. Maybe you make really healthy stuff like the snacks we got to enjoy there. And you're thinking, this is great. But you're wanting to share some kind of encouragement from the Lord with the, uh, your spouse, your roommate that doesn't naturally want to wake up until 7 or 7.30. They're not going to receive whatever it is you have to share with them, right? You need that understanding to say, okay, right now is not the time. I need to share this truth with them or, or whatever it may be but I need to understand the right moment to actually share this. And so with these Proverbs and others, what God is saying is that the right timing in our speech can make life work well. It allows our relationships to be more harmonious. It allows hard truths to be more well-received. But if we're living in the path of folly, which is the path of unrestraint or the lack of discernment, thinking, I just am going to share whatever is on my heart, even if what you're saying is true, 
it can still bring harm to our relationships. And we have to be careful of saying, well, it's the truth, so you need to hear it. You know, biblically, is that, is that right? I would say yes and amen. But as part of living wisely, right, learning to defer to the, the needs of, of other people or, or trying to understand that everyone is in a, diff, in a different place spiritually, we have to make sure that we're careful to not just lash out and speak whatever is on our mind. So we need to have the right type of timing because wrong timing can actually bring hurt. Uh, here we have one last T for tact. Uh, it's that phrase, two sides. I think a lot of us have probably heard this passage before, but um, let's actually all turn there together because I think it's just a nice helpful proverb to end on if, if you have it there. Um, it's Proverbs 18, verse 13 and verse 17. It says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And then verse 17, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. What are these two verses saying? How do you guys understand uh, these proverbs here? Very nascent. Who? <laughs> yeah. Very nascent. Okay. I, I, have I have a sense there might be a generational gap, but if you want to share that just a little bit more. Yeah. yeah do, do you care to, uh, to elaborate? Yeah. No. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> Anyone else care to explain what these proverbs are saying? Yeah, Tony. I mean, with, with verse 13 there, um, if anyone gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. You, you don't have uh, the whole story, mm. right? So you're speaking um, ignorantly, essentially, right? If one gives an answer before he hears, it's going to be in your folly. Mm. Yeah. No, I think that would really play well into counseling, right? Trying to give advice before you know the whole story. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's really wise. Um, Along with that, he brought up counseling, and then all the lights went on. Um, when when I when I had to go to counseling, the my counselor, the pastor, used what he called the mirror. Um, reflection counseling method and um, so when I go to talk to him I talk to him and then he would mirror back to me what I just said and amazingly I would say no that's not what I said you know and, and so there was this that was how we got through it all to some hmm. in short was that mirror yeah. imaging because not always the person or the young person talking to you they might be saying something, but they don't understand what they're saying until you mirrored it back to them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that can work in both directions, right? So maybe a person communicating something from their heart is saying something or the implications of that they don't even fully understand until another person says it back to them. Um, but also it could be the other way where you're sharing a truth and the individual just doesn't understand. So, so that could be something that's helpful. Yeah, I, I think summarizing what you guys are saying, it's that when we are hearing what an individual is sharing, we want to do the best to hear the full truth, right? If, if we're hearing part of a circumstance and uh, we think, okay, well, I've heard enough to make a judgment here's what I think, here's the truth that you need to hear, that might be right, right? It might still be biblical, 
But in many cases, if we're not hearing the whole story, um, we're gonna miss drastic parts of, of what's actually going on and what's needed to share wise counsel. And I think that verse uh, 17 is, is furthering that truth. It says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. In other words, if you're hearing a circumstance from one party that let's say involves two people, uh, let's say, and sometimes you hear this in, in marriage counseling, for instance, where a husband is saying, my wife is X, Y, and Z, all of this. And if you're not careful, it's very easy to say, wow, that's such a terrible person. Until then you hear the other story, right? You hear the other side and think, wow, there's a lot more that this person wasn't sharing because that of perspective. Uh, connection. Uh-huh. Was an attorney or was an investigator? It was an old TV show. An attorney. An attorney. An old Presented, and they think, oh, definitely he's guilty, and then he'd present his, and it was like, whoa, yeah, another side to the story. Okay, but it's an old, old show. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, is this guy part of the Freemasons or, <laughs> well, some kind of Mason, George Mason? I don't know. Um, yeah, and so uh, again, we can think about how this applies in so many different circumstances, right? Whether it is our child or a spouse or anything there are usually more aspects to what's going on than we initially hear, right? And I would say, especially if we come from a more Bible-focused approach, this is actually what was known as one of the dangers of biblical counseling for a long time, is, you know, we believe in the importance and sufficiency of Scripture. But if a person says, hey, I'm dealing with this sin, and the person just quickly goes, oh, okay, here's a Bible verse that says, stop sinning. Could that be helpful? Sure. But that might not be helpful at all, right? If it's missing the fact that there's so much more going on underneath the surface. Marty, you were raising your hand? Yeah, because of the days that we're living in, there comes a time when I feel that we have to do what like Jude 3 encourages us to do, which is to contend earnestly for the faith when there's a lot of false teaching going on. I mean, internet, cable TV, it's everywhere. And there will be times we're going to be in a church like this, we're going to be defensive against false teaching that's, that might corrupt some people that maybe don't have quite yet the discernment mm. to know that that teaching is false and the danger that it is. And I'm just telling you that whenever we try to do that with almost any tone that we have, as, as much love as we put into it, we're going to be misunderstood. Hmm. Because people just don't like the idea of having to tell somebody, well, you're, you're saying essentially that what that person is teaching is wrong. Hmm. Well, that's what, exactly what we're saying. Yeah. And uh, we just have to be careful, but we have to be willing for the sake of the truth. Yeah. No, I, I think that's important. It's if the, if the person is going to be offended, let them be offended by what God is saying and not our personalities, exactly. right? Uh, we have to be very careful of that. And yeah, I think this proverb is very true about the nature of cults, for instance, where maybe a person's sharing about their aspect of, of a cult group and saying, well, we really do believe the same thing about Jesus or salvation, but until you start to break that apart, and what, well, what do you really believe about his deity or his humanity that the full truth is eventually revealed? So many ways that we can think about this, but all of this should be used for reflection. Okay, what are ways that maybe I do jump to conclusions too quickly? Or I hear a person's uh, a perspective on something and too quickly take their side, so to speak, before saying, well, 
I, I can't say anything definitively because, you know, thank you for sharing, but I just don't know, right? I, I haven't heard from the other person and maybe I, I shouldn't even be hearing depending on the circumstance. I was just thinking uh, in, in line with that, the biblical standard for validating an accusation consistently in the Old Testament and the New Testament is two or more witnesses. So not, you know, even when a person makes, speaks up an accusation, the Bible demands that before you make a judgment or even in the case of punishment, exercise punishment, mm. it had to be by two or more witnesses. Mm. So there was a need even to validate those accusations. Yeah, no, that's very true. And, and it goes to this idea of there are multiple perspectives on a circumstance, right? If you're the only person that holds it, it, it might not be true at all. Uh, so again, these are four categories. Uh, a number of Proverbs will fall into these categories. There might potentially be more. Um, but like I said, this is just a summary. <laughs> we could have done a whole summer series just on each of these topics. And, and unfortunately, we don't have time because I want to make sure we can end in, in hopefully a, a positive direction, something that we can walk away with uh, going into this week. And so I want to finish with just a couple other um, principles. These aren't found in Proverbs themselves, but this is what we see as the wisdom of Scripture as a whole. Uh, why is it that we think our words matter? What do we see in Scripture? Well, first we see this, that your words reveal the state of your heart. Right, Matthew 12, 34, 35. Jesus speaking to some of the religious leaders. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. In other words, what you are saying is a reflection of your heart, right? And what's going on in your heart and your relationship before the Lord, your true spiritual state will eventually come out in our speech. And so we have to be careful that we don't, when we've said something really, really bad, we just say, I didn't mean that. I, I am so sorry. Right? We are all flawed sinners. We're, we're saved by grace alone. But what we say, especially if it is a pattern of our life, is reflection of who we are before the Lord. And so we don't want to just excuse words that we've shared or, or patterns of how we speak as being a personality or a, an upbringing or anything like that. We have to recognize that what we say, how we say it, the wisdom behind it, all of that is a reflection of our soul. Of our, of our spiritual state. And so we have to take seriously our words, not only as a reflection of where we are, but as an impetus to say, I need to pursue God even more so I, I grow in where I actually am. So that's the, the first general, um, I, I guess, exhortation. Our words reveal what's going on in our heart. But then secondly, this shows us why we need to saturate our hearts with God's word. Right? And I'm not going to even read 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, because you've probably heard it a million times if you've been at this church. It's just showing that God's word is sufficient for everything because it comes from him. And so if it's true that words have significant power in shaping and influencing the people that we talk to, right? Because we are communicating truths. We are communicating who we are and who they are. How much more is that true about God's word? Going back to what we heard from Pastor Rich during the first service, we need his speech to then influence us. Because if it's true that speech has power, how much more power does God's speech have? 
because he is the one who tells us what is absolutely true about his nature, about who we are, about what life is, about what our priorities should be, all that comes from his word. And so therefore, how we are changed and shaped as believers is by saturating our minds and our hearts with scripture, right? Not just in a, a surface level academic sense that I know these truths and I can cite them, but at the heart level, the sense in which we meditate on it, we use the truths to praise God, to thank God, to confess sin, to ask God to change us. That's the kind of devotional way we use God's word. And it's by allowing God's speech to permeate our mind that then we're going to be transformed. I don't know how many of you uh, love listening to music, but maybe you've had those moments as I often have where I've accidentally left a song on repeat and I've now heard it 10 or 12 times without realizing what's going on. And then the rest of the day, it's just there. Right? Maybe you woke up in the middle of the night and now you hate the song, but it's still playing. <laughs> that literally happened to me, I think, two nights ago. And I couldn't fall back asleep because it was still just on repeat. Um, but when we saturate our minds with something, it stays there. And, and that's how we need to have the approach with scripture, where we are so dwelling on its truth that God's voice is what's dwelling and staying in our minds and our hearts. Um, we need his word to change us. Uh, I, I think Pastor Rich at one point had written this down as a possible verse. I forget if he mentioned it in the sermon. Um, but 2 Peter 1, 18 and 19 is such a helpful verse. It says this. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. That's, that's Peter saying, I was with Christ when he was transfigured. When he appeared in all of his divine glory in a visible way, I was there. I beheld that voice and that glory. But then he says this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, the, the scriptures we have today, in a sense, are even a more confirmed form of revelation, a more certain form of revelation for us than even Peter seeing Jesus in his divine glory. Right? That is an astounding thought if you really process it. And so there are times where it's easy to say, I would rather hear a voice from God, or I'd rather feel a touch on my shoulder, all those types of things. But we need to say no. In, in God's word, the scripture, we have everything we need for our lives to be changed, for our speech to be changed if we allow God's word to change the way that we think and how we think. Uh, I know I'm saying a lot. Here's the last bit. Uh, just some questions for us to think about during this week. Uh, as I've posted in the previous uh, slide docs on the, the church app, all of this will be there as well. So I would encourage us to go back and think about these. But the first one is this. How have you been impacted and impacted by words? Are there positive or negative effects in your own life or in the lives of others? Are there ways you need to apologize and make amends for hurtful words in the past or present? So just knowing the power of words, are there ways that you realize, you know, I've never actually processed this before the Lord and how I'm now seeing myself or circumstance because of what someone else said to me. Words have significant power and so we have to be able to recognize that and allow God's truth to then correct our wrong perception. And if we've hurt other people, uh, we need to make amends for that as well. And the second question, how would people closest to you characterize the nature of your speech? Um, this is going back to Matthew 12, 
What does the quality of your words say about your character and your spiritual state? And uh, notice there I'm saying, how would other people characterize it? Because we can easily deceive ourselves. Thinking, I'm such a kind person. I, I'm such a generous individual. Well, would your spouse say the same thing? Or do they see an aspect of who you are that's completely different than how you see yourself? Um, consider doing that, right? How would those closest to me that see me the most characterize the way that I speak? Uh, and then use that as a personal reflection before the Lord, either in repentance and or uh, praise for, you know, sanctification. And the third question, when you aim to confront or correct someone, how much are you motivated by a desire to build them up versus tear them down? Right? In how you're speaking in all that uh, ways, are you seeking to help people grow in Christ-likeness? Or is your goal just to give a lasting judgment and make them feel bad? Um, going back to Ephesians 4, the way that Christians need to speak in our relationships is such that people are growing towards Christ and not being torn down. Uh, and the fourth and finally, what practical steps do you need to take to allow God's word to transform your heart and your speech? So going back to what we saw in 2 Timothy, if we need God's speech to transform our hearts and our speech, how is your time in God's word? You know, if, if we have excuses or if we're saying we're too busy, what practical steps do you need to take to actually change your weekly and daily schedule to make sure God's word is impacting your life? Um, there's a lot of other ways we could apply it, but we'll stop there. Any last questions or, or comments? Uh, like I said, this is a summary. It was a lot to take in, but I just want to hit as many as we could. Something I've, I've learned about myself, and I think it's important here, is countenance, your face. I'm a big guy. I'm bold. I don't know that I'm that way, but I impact people that way. So I really have to be careful. You know, I, I wound my wife sometimes. I don't have to be angry. It's like, I'm, I'm not even thinking angry. I'm not angry, but I present myself in a way that is powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes along with our work. So it's something that you know, I get convicted about. And so it just it seems to work together with yeah. your, your countenance and your work. Yeah. Yeah, I think it flows very much from even the, the tone aspect of wisdom. So your, the, the tone of your voice matters, but also your facial responses if you're scowling <laughs> as you're talking to someone it's not going to be received well and so yes that, that's something good to be mindful of yeah. any other thoughts or questions about this you gotta smile a lot yeah if, if we have genuine joy right it's not that we can fake it but hopefully we, we're not frowning all the time uh, I'll, I'll say one last thing to close uh, in high school you know i was a martial artist you know did it at a relatively high level uh, very much had what was known as kind of a killer instinct when you're fighting. But my nickname from that was Killer. And uh, I would literally have that type of strong intensity that you're talking about in every conversation at times or just look really, really serious. And so I've had to learn how to smile and to be careful of how I'm speaking because, again, it, it's not always natural. But, well, okay. Please don't repeat that, okay? In this class, especially. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's okay. So, 
Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. I would encourage you to look at all of the church announcements on the church app when you have a chance. Many ways to get involved with, with what's taking place. Thank you for your participation, for bringing the snacks. I, I look forward to whatever we have next week. See if you can top uh, Courtney's thing. <laughs> Probably won't happen, but you can try your best. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Okay, thank you. Thank you.